This morning, James 1, verses 19 through 21. Let me read it for us. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. The Bible tells us to present our members, the members of our body, as instruments to serve Christ. And we're familiar with Ezekiel's command to present your heart to Christ, or Isaiah's command to present your mind to Christ. Later on, James will say, uh, talk about presenting your tongue to Christ. There's commands to present your hands to Christ, your feet in Romans 10. An often overlooked member is your ears. When it comes to ranking the members of our body, we often don't put too much thought into what it means to present your ears as servants to God. Most of the time we play with our ears, honestly. <laughs> Itch them, scratch them. Some of you even hang metal off of them. <laughs> Saw one person today that was able to tie a red bell pepper to her earring and had a red pepper hanging off of her ear. That was before second hour, that early morning crew. You never know what you get with them. <laughs> the Bible commands you to present your ears to God. Here's just a general reminder of how your ears work. It's an organ that recognizes sound, but it's actually the, the brain and central nervous system that hears. Your ears connected to your brain as sound waves are perceived by your brain through the fibers that are in your ear canal. Those fibers pick up the vibrations the different sounds make, transfer them into impulses that go to your brain. Your brain takes that pressure and perceives it as sound. Of all the noises and sounds that you hear, and there are a lot of them from birds singing on a crisp muggy Virginia Saturday morning or Sunday morning <laughs> to music blaring from your neighbor's house on that same Sunday morning to teachers teaching, bosses yelling, parents parenting, kids crying, friends laughing, TVs glaring, news broadcasting, <laughs> whispers whispering, gossip spreading, songs singing, crowds talking, even animals talking when they don't think you're listening, of course. No sound is more important than the sound of our Lord's voice. The most important sound your ears will ever behold is the voice of God speaking. Now there's this maxim, garbage in, garbage out. When you expose your mind, when you take your ears and tune them or turn them to perceive and receive garbage from our world, then that garbage goes through your mind and into your heart and produces garbage out. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The ears in that sense are the pathway to the heart. When you subject yourself to the, the entertainment of the world and the, the news of the world in our current culture, when you feed yourself on social media all the time, you become a negative and a, a surly person, don't you? <laughs> when you're constantly putting in front of your face what is wrong with this world and all that is wrong with our society and wrong with our politicians and wrong with, wrong with, wrong with, wrong with, <laughs> and you walk outside and you hear the bird singing, you get angry at the bird. <laughs> for some political reason. Well, you didn't vote. It's a bird. It doesn't vote. That's the problem. <laughs> so easy to fill your mind with 
just the gross things in the world. And I'm not even talking about immorality as much as just news and everything in the world, that it corrupts your heart. But what's the opposite of that? The opposite is that you're supposed to train your ears to hear the voice of God. Of all the voices that compete for the attention of your ear, the most important one is the voice of God as he speaks through his word to your heart. Understand that God made the universe to reveal his glory, but he made his word to teach you his glory. He made the universe to display the wondrous power of his might and his deeds, but he gives you a book that describes you how, how you can learn about him and how you can know him. The heavens declare the glories of God. The sky speaks forth his handiwork. Day after day pours forth speech. Night after night declares knowledge. There is no place in the universe where there's voices not heard. Their words go out to the ends of the earth. The sun runs its course in the sky like a bridegroom with joy running to his chamber. And yet, despite the heavens declaring the glory of God, the heavens don't teach you about God. This is why the word of God is perfect, converting the soul. The word of God is perfect, making wise the simple. The word of God is, is perfect, illuminating your path and showing you how to live. That's the power of the Bible. The Lord has created the, the world to display his power and might, but he's given you his word so that you can hear him. This is why Jesus often said in his ministry, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And there's just this basic uh, uh, maxim from this that not everybody with physical ears has the capacity to hear sound. There are deaf people. What Jesus means when he says, he, let, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Not everybody with, with uh, ears can hear the voice of God. Not everybody with ears has them tuned to the frequency of scripture. Not everybody hears God's word through his word. And so when Jesus says, let him with ears hear, he's making a very profound statement about the nature of your heart. Is your heart converted? Is your heart turned towards the word of God? Does your heart, if it's a satellite, is your heart angled so that it receives God's voice through his word or is it turned the other way? Because if it's turned the other way, you don't hear God speak. And if it's turned towards his word, you receive the truth of the Lord from his word. And so what you listen to is a huge question. It's not about which news network you listen to. It's about are you letting your life be influenced by the word of God or the words of the world? Who influences you? Bad company corrupts good morals, the scripture says, and bad company does that by talking, by influencing. Rehoboam, King Rehoboam in the Old Testament, had all kinds of wise counselors around them, but he muted them and turned his attention instead towards his young, foolish friends. Civil war followed, Israel, Judah split. The rest, as they say, is history, specifically the book of 2 Kings. So who will you serve with your ears? Will you train your ears to hear God's voice through his word or will you keep your ears at a distance 
Do you have them roaming looking for something more interesting, input that is more stimulating? You know, Paul says that there is a time coming when people will not tolerate sound teaching, but instead will heap for themselves teachers who, who tickle their ears. They have itchy ears. They want their ears tickled by people who just say what they want to hear. What a contrast with the person whose heart is fixed like the, the satellite dish right on the receptor. It wants to receive God's word straight to the heart. That's what this section is about. How you can hear God's word. Let me give you an outline. Four ways to faithfully respond to God's word. Four ways that this passage describes that you should tune or train your heart to hear God's word. You know, you're serving something. Everybody is serving something with their heart, their affections, with their mind, which is their thoughts, with their hands, which is their actions, with their feet, which is their locations. What are you serving with your ears? What are you allowing to influence you? Now, this passage, verses 19 through 21, it has a pattern to it. Quick, slow, slow, quick. And it's, it's got this rhythm in it, even in the Greek. If it were read out loud in Greek, it would you know, have this speed, then slow, slow, then speed again. Fast, slow, no, now, <laughs> Hurry up and listen. Slow down when you're speaking. No, don't get angry. Now obey. That's kind of the flow of this. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, eager to submit. This passage is jerking you back and forth. Hurry up and listen. Slow down and don't talk. Definitely don't get angry with God and quickly submit to him. Let's look at these four one at a time. First, the way you faithfully respond to God's word is that you listen to it. Listen to it. Verse 19, know this, it begins with this imperative. Know this, in other words, engage your mind. It's hard to do know as an imperative. In English, we would often say learn this. It's this present uh, tense here, which means you should have your mind engaged in this. Your mind needs to understand this. And there's a transition from verse 18. Verse 18 is of his own will he brought us forth. God chose to save us and give us life so that we can be a first fruits of his creatures. In light of that, you have to know this. Remember, verse 17 describes God as the father of lights. God is the one who is always communicating. He's always broadcasting. If God is the father of lights, if he's, all, if he's the consummate communicator, then you better be the consummate listener. In this relationship, God is the one who's displaying, illuminating, revealing, uh, diffusive disposition. Remember, God is showing you his glory, then you better be listening to it. And that's why James says in verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear. Now, it's, this is proverbially true. In other words, it's, it's general wisdom literature. It's a general wisdom principle that you should listen more than you talk. It's tough in my line of work, but I know it's true anyway. You should listen more than you talk. That's just generally true. But James is not talking about general personal interaction here. Like, oh, as a principle in life, you should ask more questions than you answer. James is talking specifically here about how you interact, how you engage with God's word. And he's saying, you had better. If God is the father of lights, and if he brought you forth in verse 18 by his word, then you better listen to his word. His word is what is giving you life, and so listen to it. And then verse, uh, down verse 22, be doers of the word. Verse 21, receive the word. I mean, this is obviously talking about God's word. It's three times in these three verses. You have to be quick to listen to God's word. 
Tune your ears to it. Turn your heart to it. Turn your attention to the Bible. Know this, this book that you have in your laps, some of you have it on your phones, that almost counts. (laughs) This book that you have, that's how God is speaking to you. This book is how he speaks to his children. Jesus says, in comparing himself to a shepherd, he says that he's a shepherd and his sheep hear his voice. In other words, in the Palestine back then, different shepherds would put all their sheep in a a shared pen. Shepherd would show up in the morning, call his sheep, and his specific sheep would separate from the flock and come to the shepherd. Jesus says that he is the good shepherd and that if you are a Christian, you hear his voice. This is why in Mark 4, 24, Jesus says, pay attention to what you hear. Sounds like every parent right there. Listen to me. Pay attention. I know, I know the words of my voice are hitting your ears, but they have to get into your head. Listen to me. Proverbs 2, verse 2 says, There's a blessing in making your ear attentive to wisdom. I like that phrase, Proverbs 2, 2, because it implies you're training your ears to hear wisdom. In Proverbs, wisdom is personified, God in human flesh. Christ is wisdom incarnate. You have to train your ears to hear the words of our Savior, which come through this book. And then you apply it to your life. You see how the Bible applies to your life. This is Psalm 40, verse 6. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. This is God's gift to you. He opens your ears so that you can hear his words. Growing up, I knew that if I got my dad when he was reading his newspaper, I could get whatever I wanted. In Albuquerque, he had an afternoon paper too, so he'd come home from work and open it up and, Dad, could I have my allowance? Uh Uh-huh. You gave it to me yesterday, you know. Uh Uh-huh. Should I just get it out of your wallet? Mm Mm-hmm. Later, he'd be, where'd my money go? Dad, you told me. Uh And I fear that some people read the Bible like that. The words are in front of their eyes, but it's not just bouncing off of them. And James is saying here, you don't just put your eyes on the page. You have to actually listen to what God is saying quickly. Be quick to listen to him. Our attitude towards the Bible has to be that of eager expectation to hear God's words. You have to delight in it. Your heart needs to be drawn to it. You want to hear what God is saying to you. God is not like us. He is distinct, different, separate from us. He's holy, unapproachable by us, and yet he's spoken to us. This is what theologians call condescension, that God, though he's exalted and transcendent above our universe, has come down to us, and he's come down to us with his words. We don't see God. We read about him in this book. And so we have to train our ears to be dependent upon God's word. I mean, I understand how unusual what's happening in this building right now is. Outside, people are driving by. They're going to basketball games and soccer games and science fairs at Thomas Jefferson today. I mean, they're doing things today. Some people are just going to Starbucks where they'll sit down and read their newspaper and drink their coffee. And this is Sunday. This is their day to just hang out at the coffee shop. Leave them alone, they think. (laughs) 
not you. You come here to sit in a, a big room and open up a book and listen to me talk about the book. <laughs> and you'll make changes in your life based upon what you hear from God's word right now. I mean, that's incredible. There's nothing else like that in the world that's happening. I mean, there's other things that happen at church, of course. There's fellowship and there's, and there's singing, but the, the focal point really, what, what's the magnet that's drawing us together is the, is the study of God's word. And you'll listen to a book being taught that's 2,000 years old, the, the most recent part of it, and you'll go away and you'll change things in your life based upon it. I mean, that is astonishing. Do you understand how weird that is? <laughs> It's surreal. And no other religion has anything close to that. I mean, other religions might have their own liturgy or they might have somebody giving a, a homily or, or you know, a meditation from some book. But I mean, it's, you know, quote as many poets as they want. It's not this. It's surreal what's happening here. Crazy to those on the outside. But to those on the inside, we're hearing God speak to us through his word. And I hope you have that eager expectation to hear. I hope you approach God's word hungry to be fed. I want to listen to God. I want to hear his, his voice in the word. You know, some of you are even taking notes. And you sit closer to heaven. If you take notes here on earth, you get better seats in heaven. Oh. I think it's true. Maybe not. Is your heart engaged with God's word? I hope that it is. I hope that it is. When you hear encounter problems in life, I hope you know where in the Bible to go because you're a student of the word. You know, the, Luke described Apollos as a man who is mighty in God's word. What a great phrase. Apollos was mighty in the scriptures. I hope you're mighty in the scriptures. I hope if somebody meets you, they walk away and go, man, that person is mighty in the scriptures. Do you know how to respond to difficulties in life from God's word? Heard somebody this week say, ah, oh, you know, Jesus didn't really condemn same-sex marriage. And my mind goes, boom, I know the verse. Yes, he did. <laughs> I didn't say that out loud in my mind. <laughs> Do you know the verse? Somebody says, oh, you know, lying's not that big of a deal. It depends on the end. Do you know the verses that tell you not to lie? You're tempted to, to some kind of immorality or to look at inappropriate things. Do you know verses in your mind to train your heart not to do that? Have you attuned your ear to hear God directing your life through his word or not? Do you have a devotional life? Are you opening the Bible? I mean, I hope you're not just not eating on Sundays. You don't just eat physically on Sundays. I hope you, Sunday's not just your time for spiritual food. Oh, I don't need to read my Bible. I went to church Sunday. Man, that's a malnourished, starving Christian right there. That sheep is, you know, keeling over. <laughs> you need to eat. You need to read the Bible for yourself. Feed yourself. Because this is how God is speaking to you. Luther said, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And so you should read the Bible devotionally, wanting to hear from the Lord. There's a certain joy that should strive to develop in your heart as you read God's word. When you're listening to sermons, you know, engage with your mind. Even take notes. Be engaged in the sermon. When you're doing your devotional reading, have some kind of system, have some kind of method where you're internalizing the word. Memorize scripture, read it and listen and, and bring it into your heart. 
John 8 verse 31 says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is how we realize our freedom. We listen to God's words. Well, first, you faithfully respond to God's word by listening to it. Secondly, you listen quietly. That's what James says in verse 19. Be quick to hear, but be slow to speak. Be slow. In other words, when you're reading the Bible, you're receiving. You're not giving. You're taking it in. There's a human tendency to want to add our words to God's words. There's a human tendency to want to help God along here. Oh God, I understand this area of theology. I would just add, I have one thing to add to this, God. I understand human depravity, God, but I would just like to make one comment on this. People are born, I'm just using an example, people are born sinful and depraved, but God, I like to think of them more as morally neutral people. That's adding to God's word. That's you speaking. That's you telling God what his word should say instead of what it actually does say. It's elevating our own ideas about what God should do or what God has done to the level of theology. It's saying, you know, whenever I hear somebody say, I like to think of God as... Mentally, I just tune out right there. Mm. To me, Jesus is like, mm. what does that mean? To me, Je- no, don't add to what God is like. Just read and receive. Don't elevate your ideas to the level of Scripture. Everything from the person who says, I like to think of people as this or God as this, to the other person who says, I have these extra books in the Bible. <laughs> I've got a whole other section of the Bible that, I, that, that we, we believe is God's word. No, that's, that's speaking to God. Stop it. There's not blank pages at the end of your Bible. And if there are, don't fill them in as if they're God's words, okay? <laughs> God has spoken. His canon is closed. This is the scripture he's given. Be happy with it. And it's not just in areas of theology. It's also in practical living. The Bible has a category called, a category called man-made rules where there's things that are true and people make up rules to help them out with those things. So for example, you know that drunkenness is a sin. And so people will say, oh, drunkenness is a sin. So therefore Christians should abstain from all alcohol altogether. Now that may be wise in some circumstances or, or maybe not, but see what just happened there. It took a truth, drunkenness is bad, and I've added a new rule to it. All alcohol is bad. Boom, there's my rule. It's a man-made rule. It's not from the Bible, but it's my rule to guard me from this. Okay, and now what happens right after that? Immediately after that, you start comparing other people to how well they keep the rule you just made up five minutes ago. This is the human tendency to do this, isn't it? The Bible refers to this as man-made rules. Colossians 2.23. These rules have an appearance of wisdom and they promote self-made religion, Paul says. That phrase, self-made religion, it's not a compliment. But the truth is, Paul goes on to say, that kind of thinking comes from, quote, asceticism and results in severity to the body and is of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. It is powerless to stop. Worldliness is bad, got it. Therefore, all secular music and secular books are bad. Not quite. And again, those principles might be helpful, especially for immature believers. They might be very helpful, training wheels, so to speak but you don't extrapolate them to other people. This is 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6. Paul, apparently the Corinthians had this tendency, and Paul tells them, I hope that you learn by us not to go beyond what is written. 
that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. I mean, that is the age-old tendency to go beyond what is written, to add to Scripture, to say, oh, here's my new rule, and then to get puffed up by it because you keep your own rules better than other people sometimes. Paul says, don't go beyond what is written. Don't speak back to God. Don't be quick to speak. The Bible describes devotional reading as meditating. That's you chewing on scripture. You reading it and you chewing on it and you processing it, but not adding to it. Delight in what you read. Enjoy what you read, but don't add to it. And there's a place for journaling. There's a good place for journaling to keep a prayer journal because then you're, you're tracking God's faithfulness in your life. You're seeing how you yourself have grown. But let me warn you against something that's very, very common today, and that's people who have a devotional life where they close their Bible, open their journal, and then write down what God is saying to them. Very dangerous, very bad. Because that's, I mean, the, the Bible's closed. That's the first hint something is wrong. Bible closed, notebook open. They're writing down what God is saying. And that's not God saying, that's their own heart producing content and writing it on the page and saying, this is God talking. It is not God talking though. It's their own heart talking. This is in violation of all kinds of scripture passages, specifically James 1 verse 20. Be quick to hear God's word. Be super duper triple dog slow to speak it. (laughs) Somebody says, oh, the Lord told me this. If I can quote the prophet of our age, the Christian rap group Cross Movement, they say, the Lord told me this, the Lord told me that, but if it ain't in his word, it ain't fact. (laughs) To which I say, amen. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you and I are not going to hear an audible word from the Lord. We're not as you deposit truth in God's, from God's word in your heart, as you listen to God's word and you're depositing it in your heart, there may be times in life where God brings things to mind. There may be, you know, you're at a gas station and you, you feels like, I hear the Lord telling me to witness to that person next to me. You know, that's not the flesh and that's not the devil, that's gotta be God. Well, in a sense, yes, in a sense, no. It's, there's, the Holy Spirit is bringing truth that you have stored up in you to apply to a situation. That's supernatural. It's the Holy Spirit working in the life of a believer. That's very different than saying, God told me this. Because once you follow God said with anything that's at the level of inerrant, infallible, inspired, and that is a theological no-no if it's not in the Bible. Do you want to hear God speak to you? Then read the Bible. Do you want to hear God speak to you out loud? then read the Bible out loud. (laughs) Can I get an amen? (laughs) Amen. And I say this just because people drift. They do things that are unwise. And they say, the Lord told me this. You know, the classic example is, you know, a college guy coming up to a girl and saying, the Lord told me that we should date. Well, what's she supposed to do? Argue with God? So she goes along with it for a few months and comes back to him and says, the Lord told me to break up with you. <laughs> and you have to have sympathy for the guy because in that scenario, he just got dumped by Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I mean, it's silly when it comes to like the college level dating, but recognize that that kind of thinking, I mean, look at the instability that happens in, in grown-ups with that kind of logic. The Lord told me to leave this job. Apologies to college students with that comparison just there, grown-ups, yikes. You're grown-ups, I promise, some of you. But you, you, know, you, you go on and you have a family and you're, oh, God told me to quit this job. No, he didn't. You know, if the Lord brings truth to mind, check it against his word. And if it's biblical and it seems wise, act on it. If it's not biblical or it doesn't seem wise, don't. But be very slow to act on that kind of thing. And I don't even think James is talking about be slow to speak out loud to other people. Later, he's going to talk about being not many of you should want to be teachers. Here, he's just talking about engaging with God's word. It's almost to yourself. Be slow to talk to yourself about these kind of things. Just bring the word of God in. You're meditating on it. You're not adding to it. You're not adding to what the Lord told you. There's the old joke. Man with closed Bible prays for the Lord to speak to him. I hope you get the joke. Psalm 77, verse 12, I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? I will ponder all of your works, the psalmist says. Well, first, listen. Secondly, quietly. Third, don't argue. Don't argue with God. Doesn't this sound like parenting? <laughs> listen. <laughs> Shh. And don't argue with me. This is James's language here. You present your ears to God. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The basic point here is don't dispute with God or his word. What you find in the Bible, have the attitude of receiving. In verse 21, he's gonna contrast it arguing with meekness. You know, meekness is receiving the truth. Arguing is disputing the truth. You don't wanna dispute it. Don't have your Bible reading go through a pre-existing grid of things that are okay about God and things that aren't okay about God. You know, I believe this theology, not this theology. So everything I read, if it sounds like it's over here, I'm going to reject that part of the Bible. No. Don't argue with God. Just receive what the word says. And you might think, okay, really, I don't think you're understanding this passage correct because who argues with God? Well, my friends, (laughs) Do you remember the context of James 1? Verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. Did you argue with God when we were looking at verse 2? Because the Bible commands you to count your trials as joy. And it's so quick to say, ooh, that's too far, God. (laughs) And James 1 is taking you through two ways here, two paths. James 1 verse 2, count your trials joy because play that out. What happens if you think that God is actually sending trials into your life to sanctify you? Where does that path lead? Well, in verse 3, it leads to steadfastness and endurance. In verse 4, it leads to spiritual maturity. In verse 5, it leads to wisdom. In verse 9, to exaltation. And in verse 12, to the crown of life. So when you encounter trials and you rejoice because you know it's God who's working, you experience Uh, endurance, maturity, wisdom, exaltation, and eternal life. What's the opposite of that? It's arguing with God. It's saying, these trials aren't from him. And if they are, I don't like them. I don't want them. God, I've done a lot, but this is too much. So either God, you're not involved in this, or if you are, take it back. 
Well, what does that life produce? And James also describes that. In verse six, it produces doubts, unanswered prayers. In verse eight, it produces instability, where you're not, you're not stable in life. In verse 10, it produces humiliation. In verse 15, it leads to sin and death. I mean, it's chaos out there if you don't receive with joy the trials you're going through. And so now do you see why James is saying, do not argue with God about this? Because God's working these things in your life and you, you need to receive them as being from him as described in his word instead of pushing back. Yeah, it's not just that that's the only way to argue with God, although I think that's what James has in mind. The Bible describes other ways of arguing with God. People will often argue with God about his own theology. <laughs> I had somebody tell me, oh, I can't read, I can't read Paul. He, so much of Paul I just disagree with. <laughs> not a new sentiment, remember? Peter says the same thing, <laughs> that Paul has writings that are difficult to understand, so people twist them like they do with the rest of the scripture. But you hear people say that, I just can't read this part of the Bible because I just don't like it. It's disputing with God. People want to argue about, for example, the doctrine of election, and I choose that doctrine because that's very similar language in Romans 9. People say if God chooses whom he's going to save, then why does he still judge people if he's the one choosing? It's Romans 9, uh, 19. Why does God still find fault for who can resist his will? And pause there in your mind. Do you hear the objection? If God chooses, why does he still judge people? I think how would I answer that question? And I have an answer to the question. There's a whole theological concepts behind how a sovereign God can work with volitional creatures without violating his sovereignty. I mean, there's a whole universe of truth there, and I think I would try to explain that. But look how Paul answers that objection. Romans 9, verse 20. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded? Say to its molder, why have you made me like this? He's saying the same thing James is saying. Don't dispute with God. So big picture, God is at work in your life for his glory and for your good. Receive it. Because if you receive it, verse 12 says you receive the crown of life. If you reject it, look at what verse 20 says. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When you let God work in your life through trials, it grows you in maturity and leads to eternal life. But when you fight back, when you throw punches back at God, when you close your heart to him, when you dispute with him, it does not lead to righteousness. That road is fraught with peril. Ask Jonah. He argued with God. Look what happened to him. (laughs) Receive what God has, knowing that receiving and responding to his word produces righteousness. Rejecting it does not produce the righteousness of God. And that just raises this kind of axiomatic question. If anger doesn't make righteousness, what does? If anger at God doesn't lead you to righteousness, What does lead you to righteousness? And this is the fourth point. Listen quietly, don't argue. Fourthly, obey. Obey. See, so much of this is like parenting, I'm telling you. (laughs) This whole stanza has a do, don't do, do pattern to it. Do listen, don't talk back, don't get angry, but do obey, do receive. Specifically, he says, put off filthiness and all manner of rampant wickedness. That's in verse 21. This is put off. The, the Greek concept for putting off, it's like changing a dirty, dirty clothes. You have a shirt with ketchup all over it and you're about to go on a date. 
change your shirt. Take it off, put it down the dirty clothes, put a clean shirt on. This is what James is saying. Stop arguing with God, stop talking back to God and just listen to what he says. And if we're gonna be honest here, just between you, know, you and me, I won't, I won't tell anybody. <laughs> Much of the time we're hesitant to read the Bible or we're eager to dispute what's there is because the Bible's trying to change us. And we don't wanna be changed. The Bible's confronting us with areas of sin and we don't want those areas of sin confronted. We're actually quite happy with those areas of sin. And so we ignore those or we dispute them and James says, just listen to them. If the Bible tells you to take off a sin in your life, take it off. And there's all manner of sins here. You know, he's not giving you a specific list of sins. I mean, Paul is quick to do that. Paul is quick to give you a list of specific sins. James is saying there's all kinds of sins you're dealing with. Read the Bible, and when it tells you to stop them, stop them. Don't argue with it, but take off the filthiness you have in your life so that you can receive the word. And, and by the way, this, this Greek word for filthiness, there's one writer who uses it as a synonym for earwax, and some commentators think that, that that's what James has in mind here, speaking about the ear, that you have sin in your life that's acting like earwax and is blocking out the word of God. I mean, if you have a sin in your life that you love and you don't want to give up, do you see how that affects your devotional life? You don't want to read parts of the Bible that talk about that. <laughs> you don't want to meditate on any part of the Bible too long where you'll get confronted in that. It's like earwax. So James says, get rid of that sin. Take it off so that you can hear God speak. Put away that rampant wickedness and instead receive with meekness the implanted word. Meekness here is not kind of mamby-pammy, effeminate weakness like Oh, Christians get pushed around because they're so meek. <laughs> Meekness is strength under control. It's a virtue Jesus talks about, blessed are the meek. It means you recognize that God is stronger than you, and so you're not going to fight him. That's the kind of meekness we're talking about here. If Jacob would have known what meekness was, he would have spared his hip, I think. <laughs> meekness is a virtue. It's just saying, God, you're stronger than me. Stronger than me. So I'm not going to fight you. I'm going to receive from your word. All of the Bible reading, all of the sermon listening, all of the camp attending, all of the Sunday school classing in the world doesn't mean a thing if you don't change your life based on what you see in the word. One pastor used the phrase sermon immunity that you get saved and you're excited to hear from the word of God and then you find things you don't want to give up or sins you want to keep and so you start disputing with God but eventually you get to the point where you stop arguing with God and you just sit there and let the sermon bounce off of you. Boing, like a toy arrow. No impact. You just go on with your life. You're here. You're not even arguing anymore. You just shake your head mm-hmm, and you go about your, your life as if, as if this didn't happen. That's not eating that's not listening. You're sheep. You got to eat. Sheep don't just lick the grass. They actually eat it. <laughs> you have to digest the scripture. You have to respond to it. You have to obey it. You know, it was Jesus who said, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. I hope your food is the same thing, to do the will of our Lord. A slave in the Old Testament would be freed after seven years. After six years, he'd get a year of freedom. After that seventh year of freedom, he could go back to his master and he could declare, I want to be your slave forever. The master would call a priest. 
the slave and the, the master and the priest would then be there and the slave would say out loud in front of the priest, I love Yahweh and I love my master. Not enough to say, oh, we've come to a financial agreement that's beneficial in a mutual fashion. No, you had to say, I love my Lord, I love my master. And then the priest would take a tag and would pierce the ear of the slave. And the slave would have a mark in his ear the rest of his life showing that he has an earthly master. What an image for Christians to follow. If you are a slave of Jesus Christ, your ear should be pierced. Your ear should be inclined to God's word. You should be marked as someone who reads and responds to the word of God. You know, in the shepherd analogy, Jesus calls his sheep and the sheep separate from the flock. The sheep, in a sense, they're more like dogs. You know, they come to their owner than cats. The cats would just mull about. If sheep were cats, they would never get out of the pen. They just, hmm. So here's biblical proof, by the way, that Christians should be more like dogs than cats. <laughs> Might be a stretch, but it's in there in the white spaces. <laughs> that you hear your master's voice and you respond. That's what James is talking about here. Receive the implanted word. God, God, like a gardener, plants his word in your soul and it comes through your ears. So you read the Bible and you allow it in, you allow it to influence you and look at what happens here. It comes into your heart and it gets implanted in your soul. So you've tuned your ears to scripture. The word comes in, it goes into your heart, it implants in your soul and then it produces fruit in your life. And out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In fact, what kind of fruit does it produce? Well, in verse 21, it's able to save your souls. When you listen to God's word, that road leads to eternal life in verse 12 and here to salvation. That's what it means to be a Christian, that you hear God's voice. The other day I was at my gym and there's an elevator there and yes, the gym has an elevator. It's one of the strange things about being an American. You just get used to those kind of contradictions. <laughs> elevator door opens and there's this mom there. She's on her phone doing something very important, I'm sure. And she's got her four-year-old there who's like pulling on the mom's shirt, saying, mom, mom, mom. The mom's like, yeah, yeah. The kid says, I'm not going to go to childcare today. I'm going to go work out with you. And the mom's like, okay, sure. Clearly that child's not working out with mom. The mom has no idea what the child just says, but just agreed. And I think, oh, I'm, I think so many Christians read the Bible like that. Just, mm, yeah, yeah, sure. Without actually taking to their heart. Ask yourself, what sins are you going to put off? What acts of obedience are you going to walk in? How are you going to change because of what you find in God's word. So much of James is from the Sermon on the Mount. This is no exception. Matthew 7, verse 24, Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon a rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. It did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So two kinds of hearing. The first person hears and does, wisdom. The second person hears and rejects, folly and death. Jesus finished these sayings. The crowd was astonished at his teaching. 
for he was teaching them as one who had authority. That's why you lend your ear to your Savior, because his words alone have authority over your soul. Lord, we're thankful that you have a word for us from your word and it never returns void. That you speak with clarity, power, and precision to our lives. I pray for the people in this congregation. I ask that their hearts would be in tune with your word, that your word would implant itself in their hearts and produce fruits. Help them this week be eager to hear your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to Emmanuel with Pastor Jesse Johnson. You can find more resources like this at ibcva.com. Here is a parting word from Pastor Jesse. If you have any questions about what you heard today, or if you want to learn more about what it means to follow Christ, please visit our church website, ibcva.com. If you're not a member of a local church and you live in the Washington, D.C. area, we'd love to have you worship with us here at Emmanuel. We're located in Northern Virginia, and for more information about when and where we worship, check out our church website. I hope to personally meet you this Sunday after our service. But no matter where you live, it's our hope that everyone who uses this resource is involved in their own local church. Now may God bless you this week as you seek Jesus constantly, serve the Lord faithfully, and share the gospel boldly.